Today's episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by Vivensity, a powerful social-emotional learning platform for middle and high school students to help them cope with life's challenges. Students love the experiential I'm Sparked curriculum that uses short, engaging, and actionable mini-lessons to deliver social-emotional learning and life skills from any device, any day, any time. Principals and teachers appreciate real-time dashboards to get a pulse of their school and help them make informed decisions. Research has proven that regulating emotions, decision-making skills, and meaningful relationships contribute to academic readiness and success in adulthood. I'm Sparked was selected as a top 10 innovative product for K-12 by StartEd in 2021 and received collaboration from the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. Reach out to Vivensity through edcuration.com. listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. This is Christy, your host, and today's guest is Dr. Loria Martinez-Perez, the award-winning founder of Heart in Mind Consulting and the author of the recently released book, Teaching with the Heart in Mind, A Complete Educator's Guide to Social-Emotional Learning. Her work is dedicated to helping schools and organizations integrate social-emotional learning in their practices, products, and learning communities. A native of the Costa Brava in Spain, Dr. Martinez has worked with children and adults internationally. She is currently a faculty member at Columbia University Teachers College, educating aspiring principals in emotional intelligence. She's conducted extensive research in the field of SEL with a focus on implementation, principals' emotional intelligence, teacher preparation, and school climate. We were grateful for the opportunity to learn from Dr. Martinez. I started my career as a special education teacher, and I supported neurodiverse students in elementary and secondary. When I started working on my doctoral program, I transitioned from special ed and started looking more at student achievement data. So I was working, supporting principals, looking at tenderized assessments, how to use that information in order to drive effective instruction. And I realized there was something missing in the way that we were looking at academics. We were really focused on the reading, the writing, the math, but there was a set of skills that we were not paying attention to. And a lot of the work that I had been doing when I was in special education was to help students to cope being in a classroom maybe where they were reading several grade levels below. So when I, it, was, it came the time to decide what I wanted to study for my research, I knew that I wanted to study these other set of skills that we were missing. I, at the time, I didn't know it was SCL. I didn't even know that the, the, it existed a field of research called SCL. This was back in 2010. I'm assuming 
that that snowball probably started rolling because we recognized that there was a gap and that there was this whole area of learning that we had not been addressing previously. But um, it's an expanding field. It's kind of an exploding field at the moment. And I'm wondering, now that you've written this book, what is the new information that listeners will find in your book? Thank you for asking that question. So one of the reasons why I wrote the book was because I, as a consultant, and and most of my work is supporting schools with SCL implementation and providing professional development to teachers, I realized that there were several misconceptions that were present in schools. So there was a limited understanding of what SCL actually is. So my hope with the book is that I'm putting all the pieces together for educators and school administrators so they don't only focus on the teaching of the SCL skills, the competencies, which is an important part of SCL, but that they look beyond that to examine what are the conditions for learning that we are creating in our classrooms and our students being able to bring their best selves when they are in that learning environment. So that's one piece. There's another piece around the importance of adult social emotional skills. So at the beginning, uh, the field was really focused on providing these skills to students. But over time, school districts that had been implementing SEL for many years, they realized that they had skipped the adult and their implementation was not that effective because they assume that you just teach these things to students and that's the end of the story. Well, the fact of the matter is that as adults, unless we are intentionally modeling these skills, we are able to have clarity about what it means to make friends with our emotions, to be open, to learn from our own mistakes, and be open about them with our students. It's very hard that we are able to teach those things effectively to students. It's almost like a contradiction when we are asking students to do things that we don't do ourselves. So the book spends quite a bit of time looking at the adult, the whole, what I call wholehearted educator, to be able to equip them with the tools that they need, not only to facilitate SCL effectively, but to cultivate these skills in their own lives. I love that those are the two things that you pointed out, because I've heard from educators over and over again, the futility of trying to implement effectively um, any kind of social emotional learning program if the entire school environment and the learning environment isn't in support of that. Then it's just isolated lessons and it's just more knowledge and worksheets and busy work. Um, and the same thing with the educators who are being asked to implement these initiatives and were never, it was never modeled for them and they probably weren't trained in it, and now they're being asked to provide it. So I think that those are two huge missing pieces that are addressed by your book. I'm curious, your book is called Teaching with a Heart in Mind, and heart is an acronym that you use. So can you talk us through the acronym of H-E-A-R-T? Yes. So HEART, as you mentioned, is an acronym for five essential social emotional skills. 
And for your listeners, if they are familiar with the castle wheel of five dimensions, the heart is aligned to the castle wheel. So H stands for honor your emotions. And that means being able to identify, to name, and being able to interpret your emotions. And I specifically chose the word honor because I I wanted to teach this idea that we that emotions are our data, they are information. So when we experience feelings, that is a conversation from us to us. We were taught, you know, growing up as adults, oh, you just ignore your emotions or suppress them, right? Don't don't be open about them. But the but the reality is that emotions don't go away just because we try to ignore them. So honoring means being able to to see them for what they are. Uh, we approach them with curiosity. And then what we do is we use them in order to make better decisions. They provide information. We use this information to move forward. Okay, so H for honor your emotions. The next competency, the E, stands for elect your responses. And that includes all the strategies that we can develop in order to create this space between that stimulus and a response. So that could include taking a breath, could include taking a break. If there's something, if you receive a very annoying or frustrating email from a supervisor or a parent, that you take a break before you respond, that you you kind of create that space to look at your own behavior, your own thought patterns from the distance before you actually engage in your response. E for elect your response. The next uh, skill is apply empathy. And empathy in my model includes self-empathy. And that's a surprise for many educators. And I can tell you, I've been working with teachers my almost my whole professional career, and educators are so hard on themselves. The idea that they can have compassion for themselves, that they can give themselves grace when they make a mistake, or that they actually need to, to take care of their own needs, it seems to be something new. So um, I'm hoping that the book can help also unpack this idea that empathy includes empathy for self as well. A for apply empathy and start with grace or empathy for yourself. It's the oxygen mask principle. Then moving to the R, the R stands for reignite your relationships. And that has to do with all the skills and everything that we can put in place from communication to how we establish positive relationships with others. And as I said earlier, relationships is such an important part of creating a caring and engaging learning environment for our students, paying attention to those relationships for us educators with our students, but also how we use our teaching strategies to help students establish positive relationships with each other, right? That's a very important part. R for relationships. And if you're listening and thinking, yeah, yeah, relationships, of course. It's important to note that the number of people who say that they have no one to talk to about difficult subjects has tripled in the last few decades. And the average size of a person's social network has decreased by one third. These societal trends particularly in urban America, were moving us toward isolation years prior to the pandemic and have now compounded immeasurably. 
Establishing and maintaining healthy, significant relationships is far from automatic. It's intentional and it's work, and it's something that doesn't come natural for many of our students, which is why it's part of social emotional learning. And the last competency, the T stands for transform with purpose. And this is probably one of my favorite because it lays out the importance of living with purpose, of knowing that as a human being, there are certain gifts that you have that you can contribute in the world in order to make it a better place. And this is an area where I, unfortunately, SEL programs, they don't seem to get to, maybe because they really focus on those first two parts, the honoring emotions and the like responses, that self-awareness, self-management. But kids have so many ideas about how things could be better. And many times we don't ask them. So Transform with Purpose really brings an opportunity to engage the student voice, to bring student voice into the classroom, and then also to plant the seeds for students to see themselves as contributors, as change makers, as helpers in the community. In review, H for honor your emotions, E for elect your response, A for adopt empathy, R for relationships, and T for transform with purpose. The book is Teaching with the Heart in Mind. So in your book, you talk about integrating heart and social emotional learning into all content areas, which I think is another really key component of effective social emotional learning because most schools don't have a block (laughs) of time that they can devote solely to social emotional learning, but it wouldn't be as effective even if they did because it's something that really needs to be incorporated throughout a student's day and in all the different content areas and all parts of the school experience. Can you share some examples of how educators can integrate this kind of learning into their Yes, so to answer that question, it has kind of these two parts. One is looking at their teaching practices. What are the, the activities, the experiences, how they organize the classroom? If you have a teacher, for example, who uses different ways to group students and work in, in small groups that uses a combination of individual reflection with whole class share and small group work, there are different opportunities that you are creating for students to engage and practice those social emotional skills. So one side of that integration of SEL in our classroom is looking at those teaching practices. The other side, and and going back to your question, is more related to the academic content. And that has, has to do with how we connect the content that we are teaching with those social and emotional skills. So uh, to give an example that I really like with math is students have certain mindsets when it comes to their ability to do math. And many times, you know, students tell themselves, oh, I'm not a math person. Right. So even if you are teaching, you know, math at the high school level, exploring those academic mindsets with students, it is a way to integrate SEL. And then the the flip side is that you are going to be 
helping students to be better mathematicians because those academic mindsets influence their ability to do math work effectively. So by having that open conversation, that math teacher can say, oh, wow, these are all the emotions. So what do we do with this? Right. And then using those reframing sentences to, and that can be created with the classroom and say, okay, if you are stuck solving a problem, what are some things that you can tell yourself? And the, the students can, you know, share some helpful sentences. If you are feeling overwhelmed and you you are not able to process those feelings, there's no learning that it's going to happen, right? You're just going to be stuck with that math problem and you're going to want to give up. And that's what happens for many students. It's not that they don't have the academic skills, the challenge is they don't have the tools in order to process their feelings and they don't have strategies to, to navigate those emotions. That's so interesting, your example, because so many things are coming to my mind. First of all, all of the research around mindset and growth mindset, and then what we're learning about math anxiety, and also just the way that students, their emotions kind of chain and connect to environment and experiences. So if they, one bad experience with a math teacher can kind of ruin them for math for the rest of their life, because that experience becomes part of their biochemical response to a content area. And so being able to acknowledge and unpack all of that, I can imagine would be so helpful to students. I think it makes all of us adults look back on our own educational experience a little sadly, you know, and nostalgically in thinking how much better it could have been if we'd known then what we know now. So what advice do you have for those teachers who are maybe feeling a little bit despairing for a variety of reasons? They might just because of the overwhelming challenge that we're all experiencing right now, um, because of the bad rap that educators often get, or the diverse student needs, all of those things that are pressing on teachers and making them feel that they just are not able to, to serve in the environment that they're in anymore. Would you have any tips for yes. them? Yes, at the core of this is our human capacity to be able to connect with each other. And uh, educators... Uh, come to the profession with all these hopes and dreams and and their ideas to make learning more engaging and more purposeful for students. And then something happens, right? Their working conditions, the challenges that they face, and there is a process almost of grieving and realizing I cannot do enough in order to support my students. And that's why the hard model, it's a model that works the skills support each other. So for educators, I think one part is starting with that transform with purpose and remind themselves, why am I doing what I do? And why does this work matter to me? To to take some time to really ground themselves on their motivations, their purpose, and what, what is that they want to contribute. And then going through that model and asking, what are the emotions that I'm bringing? What are the choices that I'm making? How can I support uh, myself and have empathy for myself? And what are some of the sources of strength looking at those relationships that can help me move forward? So in in the book, I talk about uh, educator resilience, and I post five questions that i briefly share with you um, as a process to help educators think through those skills and how they can bring them to life 
um, in in their in their personal lives, which impacts their professional life. It sounds like that educators could use almost use your book as kind of a handbook or a guidebook for their own social emotional learning. And in addition to using your model to work with students, what would you suggest for educators as far as how to best utilize your yeah, book? So I recently released a discussion guide, which is available for free on my website. And what I have found that really works well for uh, learning communities for schools is to get together a group of educators that are interested in in developing their own social emotional capacity, and they are interested in in practicing how to bring SEL into their classroom, and to read the book together. Um, and the discussion guide has questions for each one of the chapters and some exercises that uh, teachers can do and then come back together and reflect, oh, I tried these activities, how did that go? So really engage educators in like a, a, a cycle of inquiry to think about their own practice and how that's impacting their life. What are some of the changes? I think that that's a wonderful way to do the work, but also not feel that you are doing it alone. And you give them a lot of exercises and activities that they can do with their students. So it's not curriculum per se, but it almost is. Right? Exactly. And there's, uh, I, I truly uh, believe in educators' capacity to to teach the students they have in front of them. And I, when I wrote the book, I didn't want to write a curriculum because I wanted teachers to see that SCL is a lens for teaching and, and, and learning is not as much as a set of activities. Of course, in order to teach the explicit instruction, you need some, some activities and, and some resources, but I wanted to stay away from like really writing, you know, lesson plans with all, all the details because I wanted teachers to be able to find their voice in this process because of course it's different if you are working with elementary versus secondary students if you're working with students of color if you have you know multi multi languages in your classroom there is a part of SCL that it really needs to be speaking to the students you have in front of you so Speaking of resources, SEL can be one more thing on a teacher's plate. What teachers need is a flexible, cross-content, easy-to-implement platform that doesn't require a lot of training or prep time. And today's sponsor offers exactly that. Vivencity is proud to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. Vivencity's I'm Sparked program is the SEL solution that students want and schools need. Students are excited to use I'm Sparked. They find our quick and engaging activities helpful and empowering. In fact, 70 to 90% say they want I'm Sparked in their schools. Teachers acknowledge the positive change in their students and value the short, flexible lessons that are easy to facilitate. Principals appreciate making informed decisions with the real-time dashboards that give them the pulse of their school. Contact us today at vivensity.com and let us empower your students. I'm curious if you have any advice for a teacher who is trying to differentiate between 
um, a, a student who has a learning challenge and they're reacting out of their learning challenge, or they have some kind of trauma triggered behavior, or maybe they do have some, they're emotionally disturbed or have some kind of mental illness. How does a teacher trying to implement these strategies differentiate between those those different needs? Yeah, that's a really good question. So SEL as a strategy is your tier one intervention, right? You are getting um, this, this model, all these activities, and you are implementing for for your classroom as a whole. But the same way that we wouldn't expect students to the first time we talk about a, a, a reading comprehension strategy to get it the first time, students need to see this content and practice these skills multiple times in order to really internalize the skills. So you can think about SEL the same way that you think about academics in terms of you have your, uh, your tier one, and then you're going to have your more intensive intervention with your tier two where students, you know, they may need a little additional help support. They may need to work in smaller groups. Um, and then you have your tier three and you might have students that are going um, in those three groups at different times, depending on the kind of social emotional skills that you are teaching. Right. So there are certain students that maybe they really need help with developing those strategies to manage their behavior. Maybe others that really need more help with developing their empathy. A particular tool that I have in the book is I have a scope and sequence from kindergarten all the way through adults. So you can see for each one of those skills in the hard model, what are the developmental expectations that we would have for a, a six-year-old versus a 12-year-old. So that can give you also some guidance in terms of what, what would be expected. That scope and sequence is extremely helpful to teachers. And I can imagine that it's going to be impacted by the past year of remote and hybrid and, and digital learning due to the fact that kids weren't in social situations for the past year. So that has, that has affected and probably arrested their development to a certain degree. You have a whole chapter in your book about incorporating SEL into digital and virtual learning. Can you talk about some of the favorite tips from that chapter? Yes. And, and this was, uh, it was interesting because I was in the middle of um, the publication process. And as I was, you know, writing a book is a long process. So it, it had taken me several months to write the book and then the pandemic hit. And I, even if I was done with the writing part of the book, I said, I can't publish this book unless I talk about this because this is what educators are needing right now. So some of the, so, uh, the first thing that I would say is that it is possible to build a supportive classroom environment, even when you are in an online, when you are teaching online. So that's kind of like the basic. You need to think about it the same way that you would plan a regular lesson, right? You need 
an activity at the beginning that is going to hook students using either a powerful question, a video, or something that is going to really pique your students' curiosity, right? And then all the activities that, that you may use during the mini lecture or guided practice that includes the need for, inter, for social interaction, right? Learning is a social process. And what happens with technology, sometimes we have the perception that you know, because you are by yourself in at your home, that the possibilities of interaction are less, but actually technology can really allow students to do to have those same quality conversations regarding academic content. So using the technology to send students to small groups to have those interactions. And then I would say at the end also to have a time for reflection. So reflection is a time when we're really engaging students to make sense of the content of the things that we presented to them and the experiences and the activities that they had to go through. So always making sure that you have some time at the end for that reflection. So in terms of the, the, the design, I would say those are three big important components. So I think that a lot of those components of social emotional learning are the same. And then, of course, there are particular things that you could do for each one of the competencies using technology, like doing emotional check-ins with different, you know, emoticons or different activities using, you know, whatever technology you have at your disposal. Yeah. And it sounds like there's ways to even make it a little bit fun for those students. Um, can you talk about, you've worked with schools, different schools, and I'm wondering if some of the strategies that you talk about are things that the that maybe more emotionally intelligent or emotional aware teachers have been doing for a long time but this whole move now through this movement toward social emotional learning as curriculum has kind of given them permission to be who they wanted to be all I along. I think that you, you find, um, I think that it's spread, right? And in terms of there's a spectrum. And I, I really like how you said that maybe these teachers are now feeling they have permission to be themselves. And, and hopefully they are working in schools where they are not the only ones. And this is just part of the, the culture and the climate at the school. And now what we are, what happened is we're becoming more intentional, right, about how we do SEL in the classroom. And we realize that, well, for starters, that unless we teach these skills explicitly, what happens is you learn them as an adult, as trial and error. And many times with so many errors, right, that you realize finally one day, oh, that's not working for me. I'm going to change how I behave or, or how I think think about myself or others. But what I have found is that because of this idea that emotions, we want to make friends with our emotions, there is a lot of unpacking and unlearning that needs to happen for our educators. Just yesterday, I was talking with a group of teachers that are getting their teaching credential in uh, the University of British Columbia. And that came up of like how you need to unlearn what you were taught about emotions as part of this process. And that's a part that unless the schools take the time to really work with teachers, they might just stay on the surface and, and, and just go 
straight to, oh, this is what you teach to students. But taking that shortcut is harming students because in order for for those students to come and share their emotions openly with with the teachers in the classroom, teachers need to be able to do that for themselves. So I think that we are moving in the right direction. And, And since I started working on this field, it has grown exponentially. But of course, when things go mainstream, there are some limited understanding of what SCL is that happens. But overall, we see so so many positive results from implementation and from the work that is being done. Yeah, and that is what happens in education. There's some new initiative, and then we all just start saying the words. I'm so curious about assessment when it comes to social-emotional learning. Should we even be assessing social-emotional learning? And if so, how do we decide what gets assessed and how it gets assessed? Is it fair to assess social emotional learning? Yes, I believe in, in data-driven instruction, in the fact that we can use data in order to inform the pedagogical choices that we make as, a, as teachers. And having STL data for formative purposes to know where your students are, What's their self-perception? What is their level of awareness of their emotions can be very positive in helping you gear your SCL instruction, but also to know uh, what you can do differently in your classroom in order to support their academic learning. But I think that there's a there's a point of caution in using SCL assessments as more summative, as this is where you have to be or or even to use it for accountability purposes. There was a big conversation uh, maybe a couple of years back about the use of SCL assessments as a as part of accountability. And I think that's a more, from my perspective, an area where we have to be cautious because if if we are, what we are trying to do with SCL is truly support the growth and the development of of happy, happy, effective and productive adults. And we don't want to use SCL as a tool for punishment or for categorization of human beings, right? And as SCL, like in other areas of our human development, Sometimes it takes for students more time to reach, you know, a milestone and that's okay, right? As long as, you know, there is growth in that process. So I think that, again, to summarize, I think it's important to use data and I, I, I've used it with adults and I can tell you that um, adults have so many aha moments when they are able to use a, an assessment of emotional intelligence to reflect on their own skills. But again, we want to use it as a growth and as a growth tool, not as, a, as an accountability tool. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think it's hugely important to make that differentiation between assessment and formative assessment and grading are very different things. So can you talk about some success stories that you've witnessed around these practices being used in classrooms and and how they've shifted overall school climate and maybe some success stories from specific classrooms or students? Yes. So I, I recently completed a case study on high school in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles here in California. That's one of my favorite uh, research projects that I have been involved with in this particular high school. One of their goals is to help students to self-actualize. So they use the Maslow hierarchy to really support students to get to the 
to the highest levels to really be able to support them to become their best selves. And a lot of what they do is SCL and it's grounded in relationships, but SCL is not this add-on that they teach. It's actually infused in everything that they do. And on top of the SCL, they have this social justice lens that they bring bring into the conversation. So social justice is infusing the curriculum and the kinds of projects that students do, and also in how adults and, and, and students relate to each other. And in this particular high school, I did quite a few focus groups with students, and it was it gave me so much hope that it is possible to build schools that are supporting students as whole human beings. Listeners can read, and, and there are plenty of particular descriptions of some of the activities and the things that the school does. You can read the case study, which is called Social Justice Humanitas Academy, and the report is linked in the episode notes, along with links to Loria's book, which is also available as an audiobook narrated by Loria. There's also a link to her website where you will find a wide selection of articles on SEL-related topics, resource pages, the scope and sequence guide mentioned earlier, the discussion guide mentioned earlier, and three tips to infuse SEL into academic lessons. Her website is an actual treasure trove. I'm super curious about the three tips that you mentioned. Would you be willing to just give us a little teaser on those? Yes. Yeah, so the there's the this is a fun one because it's just three steps. So you take an academic lesson that you have that you are going to teach. So I have almost like a little checklist of things that you would look for in order to make that SCL less that lesson more more SCL friendly. And all of those items are based on research. The second step is to look at um, those teaching practice, the opportunities to include SCL in, in teaching practices. Um, so that will be looking at the strategies and things that you do uh, during the lesson. And then the final one is opportunities for direct connection to the academic content. Uh, and there are some examples in the in the guide where you can see, okay, for these math standard, these are SCL, the hard skills that are connected to it. So you can really start to develop. It's more like a lens that you develop uh, in order to look at those academic lessons and then really infuse with, with SEL content. There are so many helpful things waiting for you at Dr. Loria Martinez Perez's website, and you can click there easily from the episode notes. And while we're all thinking about social emotional learning, you're also going to want to check out our sponsor, the I'm Sparked platform from Vivincity for secondary students. 10th grader Shreya Kulkarni, a 10th grader at the Walnut School, said, I've learned how to stay calm under pressure and relieve stress, especially during nerve-wracking situations like exams. I've learned the importance of supporting others when they aren't feeling at their mental best, and that SEL and life skills training is really important. I've also learned that just me is a great person to be and that my flaws don't define me. I'm Sparked is accessible from any device, available 24-7 and easy to implement and integrate for teachers. Check it out at edcuration.com, where you can find resources for all your instructional needs. You can also recommend, rate, and review your favorite teaching tools. If you liked this episode, leave us a comment. We hope you'll join us again next week 
to hear from educational leaders around the country and the world who are reshaping learning.